In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, have your way, mighty God. Have your way, mighty God. In the name of Jesus, have your way, O God. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Jesus, in your name, why don't you just let your mind and your spirit meditate on the Lord for a moment. Jesus, have your way tonight. Jesus, have your way tonight. God, we're thankful to you. God, we're thankful to you, Lord, for the ways that you're working in our midst. We're thankful to you, God, for the ways that you're working in each life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. Thank the Lord. My mind went uh, to a, a passage of Scripture when Moses is up on the mountain alone with God and he returns back down to the people. It says that his countenance had changed. And uh, we refer to that sometimes, we call that the transfiguration or the Mount of Transfiguration. What that means is that he looked one way before he went up to the mountain. And after he spent that time with God, he came back down and he looked different. When it says his countenance changed. And I believe that's it signifies the kind of work that the Spirit of God does in, when you commune with Him in your life. Most of us have known each other for quite some time, and we don't really look a lot like the way we used to look when we first met, or when you came aboard, or when I came aboard. And time can do that. It can change a person's look. But I remember a, a, a while back when Bishop was ministering, and he talked about people who their countenance would change in, the, in an instant, it seems like, when the Lord does a work on somebody or in their life. And that's significant to me. I always want to be open to the Lord and whatever He's going to do. Usually, what He says and what He does will change you. It brings change to us, to our lives. So, I'm thankful for that. I'm going to invite Bishop up here to, to speak and minister to us. And uh, let's just give the Lord our attention. Amen. Thank you. Scripture says if any two agree together as touching one thing, what happens? Agreeing in prayer. Let's say it that way, not just agree. If two are in agreement, the Scripture says there... Anybody know what it says? Oh, take a stab. Look, when I'm over looking over here, look it up. What? If any 
And if any two as agree as touching any one thing. Okay. And she'll have what they ask. Um, so you may communicate with somebody. Agree with me. And let's pray for this particular situation. And we make that expression because we know that word is found in the scripture and that that's a promise that there is agreement. Okay. We also know in scripture that it says if a if one can put a thousand to flight. Then two can put. Two th- no, 10,000. So we, we see that there is compounding. Compounding in the kingdom of God. Okay. Hello. I'll go ahead and take it, honey. <laughs> and so we see these various numbers through scripture and... Uh, Sometimes it affects our thinking to the degree that we believe more is better. You know, let's everybody pray for this thing. And so everybody encompasses everybody at the sound of your voice or everybody at the reach of your text or however many. Friends you have on <clears throat> Facebook or some form of media. And, you know, I, I guess I've always kind of taken the position that, whoa, 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 hold on. Before you do that, you're making it sound like God can't act unless there's, you know, multiplied thousands of people praying for your prayer request. Because actually the opposite is true. God can do anything with nothing. And surely he can do plenty with one. And has showed us throughout scripture that oftentimes whenever God wanted to do something that involved mankind... He didn't have to find 10 or 100 or 20,000. Matter of fact, there were times when he would want to accomplish something that he would start coordinating the effort to pare down the number so that the odds would be so extreme that in victory it would be certain it had to have been the Lord because man could not have achieved it. Who's, who's the prime example of this? Gideon, Gideon, who was going to fight against the Midianites, had a had an army, had a regiment, had thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands. How many? Um, he was fighting against one hundred eighty-five thousand Midianites. And I don't remember how many he had, but do you remember what the number was pared down to? You know, 
have them go out and drink water. And those that drink this way, send them home. You know, and so God's orchestrating through the effort. Let's figure out how we can get this number down. How far down did he get it? No, 300. But 300 against 185,000 is like a speck. It's like a needle in the haystack. It's like having nothing. It was 300, wasn't it? And so God granted a victory or gave a victory to his people in a weak position. In other words, he didn't want them to feel strong. He didn't want them to feel like they had achieved it on their, of their own accord or their own power, but it was the hand of God operating. Now, I want to read a few scriptures to you. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 22 at verse 29. In the world that we're living in today, sometimes we have a tendency to consider our own selves insignificant. Maybe due in part just because of the, uh, the way that we, are, we see ourselves or the fact that it's just, you know, little old me. I'm just one in many. But let's see what the scripture bears out here. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Now think about that for a minute. God is saying, there is an oppression in the land, and I am going to bring judgment, and I don't want to bring judgment. And so I'm looking for one person who will stand before me for the land. In other words, intercede, uh, pray for, beseech me for the land, like Moses did for Israel oftentimes. Now, the Bible says he couldn't find one. But the scripture indicates, had he found one, and that one would have made petition to him, that the judgment and the wrath that he was going to pour out, he would have held it back. And so we see by the, uh, the truth of the scripture that it bears out what God is willing to do with one participant. Now... This is quite a contrast to the multiplied uh, things that we were talking about earlier, whether there's two or if there's a thousand or, you know, however many. God doesn't need hundreds. He doesn't need thousands. And oftentimes what he intends to accomplish, he'll accomplish through you. And so it's good that we allow the scripture to shape our mindset, our concept. And not see him as weak or needy of a multitude to accomplish something. Okay. And the idea that there's a possibility 
that he would want to use you for one particular thing or maybe several particular things. Amen? He said, I found none, therefore have I poured out mine own indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I rep- uh, recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. Let's go to the book of James chapter 5 at verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth or will accomplish much. I guess I would like to ask the question, how much? How much? If the word of God and the promises of God to me are, number one, we know that there are none righteous, no, not one okay so in order for this scripture to ring true we have to understand that it is his righteousness it's not my own Paul said my righteousness is as filthy rags but by his grace I I am blood-bought and so I can be covered in his robe of righteousness therefore it makes me righteous so that when I Pray, according to this, much can be accomplished. One man, a righteous man. I guess it would be awkward if I just went around the room tonight and asked you, you know, remember the last time you prayed for something and that you saw it happen? Or maybe it wouldn't be. Let me ask you this. I would dare say that more times than not, uh, our prayers out of desperation sometimes seem to accomplish more than our prayers out of confidence. For whatever reason, I don't know that the idea that we feel like we we have to exercise faith or there's times when we, you know, we we choose to exercise faith, but we don't necessarily 
have to exercise faith. Does this make sense to you? Let me give you an example. When I married my wife, she had a little red Volkswagen bug. It had issues. And we drove it for a while, and then we decided it was time to sell it. Well, in Yakima, you know, you don't use the wipers too much. And I had forgotten that the wipers quit working. But I sold the Volkswagen to a guy, and I was leaving on a trip the next morning to fly out of town for a few days. And before I left, I got a call from this guy. He'd been drinking, and he was just swearing up and, you know, up and down and, and saying, you sold me a car, and the wipers don't work. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come after your family. Oh, my Lord. And I'm driving across the bridges right out here at the end of Sela to the freeway to, towards the airport. Going, what do I do? And there was just a desperation that came over me. And I began to, there was a faith that come on me as I began to pray. I, I almost want to say, because I had no other option. I couldn't do anything else. I had to have faith and believe God. And so as I began to pray, I continued to the airport. But I just, you know, I, I, if I'd have had no assurance, I'd have turned that car around. I'd have went home and called my boss and said, I can't go. We've got a situation. But there was a, there was a confidence that came in that prayer that was out of desperation. And obviously my confidence was in God. Uh, anyway. I don't know why I want to share it that way to you tonight. But there are times, obviously. Have you experienced something like that in your own life? You know, we can all share that. You know, there's times when we prayed and, you know, we're still kind of waiting. We're still waiting for the response. We're still waiting for the, the result of that prayer. But other times when it was like when you prayed it, there was a confidence came, and it was going to happen, and you had surety. I don't know why, but I wish it was always like that. I wish it was like that every time I prayed. Let's pray right now. In the name of Jesus, we're thankful to you, Father. We're thankful to you, Father. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're thankful to you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, chapter 1 at verse 4. Oh, before we go there, uh, hold that, hold that thought. Back at James 5, 
We changed the setting on our printer, and it's printing on both sides of the paper now, and so I get lost sometimes <laughs> where my notes have gone. I want to continue reading at James 5. After verse 16, where we read, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. At verse 17, the writer goes on to communicate concerning Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. What the scripture is telling us is he's just as human as you and I. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So when the Lord says, through the prophet, or through, uh, I'm sorry, through James, that the, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, it's there he begins to tell us the story of Elias and how this man, just like you and I, prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. Um, I'm sure there's been times in this valley when there's been an appeal and a, uh, you know, a call to as many people as we could find to pray for rain or snow in the mountains or something that would affect the crops and the harvest in this valley. But there is a place in God where he would like for us to know as an individual, I can do much with little, and greater than that, I can do much with nothing. Let's go to the book of Joshua, the 10th chapter. Joshua 10 at verse 11. It came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Bethlehem, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them, upon Azekah, and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. He said in the sight of Israel, Son, Stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people have avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down a whole day. I know that there's times when there's things in Scripture that we read and it sounds like a storybook. Because in our mind, we think, how can that be even possible? But it is recorded. It is written that a man had faith to believe that when he began to pray, that the elements would have to respond to his praying. It doesn't tell us that the whole army, you know, got down on their knees and 
you know, started praying, oh God, oh God, let this, you know, sun shine longer today. And no, it says there was one man, Joshua. How many, maybe you're not old enough. Uh, Brother Jester, you remember when they landed on the moon? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, most in this room, you weren't born. How many, how many here were alive when they landed on the moon the first time? Were alive. One, two, three, four. Okay, valid question. Maybe not. Like 1969, 60, Okay, anyway. Here's what's interesting. When they were making the calculations for what they called the moonshot, the moonshot was rocket has taken off from Earth and it's going to go into an orbit and it's got to intersect. You know, or here we come Jupiter. Now, it had to intersect with the moon, and that's what's called the moonshot. And so to land, well, in the calculations, there was a discovery made. That the, the sun or the orbiting of the uh, earth around the sun, it was off by one day. And so somebody said, hey, I think there's something about this in the Bible. And they went to look, and sure enough, one man. Isn't it amazing how God will bring a witness to the things of truth in his word. Verse 14 says. And there was no day like that before it. Or after it. That the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Now let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1. Chapter, chapter 1 verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not that I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Verse 10, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over kingdoms. We see the biblical concept bore out over and over and over again through its recorded history of what God would choose to do in the earth among men using one individual. You know, it was said of the, uh, it was said of the apostles in the early day that they had turned their world upside down. 
They did this with the gospel's sake. With a small group of people relative to, obviously, the population, they had communicated the gospel so far and wide that the, the response was so positive that it was said of them that they had turned their world upside down. So why wouldn't we believe that one student in a high school, one teacher in an elementary school, one employee in a corporation, I'm tempted to go around the room, you know, and start talking about the coffee makers and the. But why wouldn't we embrace the idea that there's a call of God upon our lives? That that's corporate words, but even more so, there's a call of God on me. Everybody said me. You. Let's pray again. Father, what is it that we are to see about ourselves as individuals? Who are we? In the name of Jesus, one voice, one individual, one mouth. You putting your words in our mouth, Lord Jesus. Unction and anointing prevailing upon our lives. That where we would begin to speak and share, testify. That your anointing would prevail there, Lord Jesus. And touch lives in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Nations of people. He called one man... To touch a nation. A nation. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Help us to see. Clearly Lord. Help us to understand. Open our understanding I pray. In the name of Jesus. In our everyday common life Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. I was talking with uh, Brother Scott Shelton a couple of weeks ago. And when he answered, I called him, I, when, I, when he answered the phone, I said, hey, I just felt to uh, call you and listen to you talk. Well, immediately started talking because he had something to tell me. It wasn't about me. It was about things going on in his own life. And so uh, he shared. And uh, after he shared, it was about some a vision that he had three times. 
and uh, the details of all of that and what the Lord told him to do after the vision. As told him to go home and just give himself to prayer whenever it was that God would initiate the prayer. And uh, so he did his best to be obedient to what the Lord was asking him to do. And uh, he gave a disclaimer. He gave a disclaimer like what we might often give. And uh, here's what he said. Now I'm sure there were probably others like me all over the world that God was talking to about this same thing. Because he wanted, he didn't, you know, he was careful that maybe I wouldn't think, well, who do you think you are that God would talk to you one man and have you do something to that magnitude? And I don't know what it is in mankind that, you know, would cause for us to do that or put pressure on somebody uh, that somehow that they as one person, God wouldn't ask them to do something of a large uh, impact and magnitude. The word of God declares it over and over and over and over again. And I don't know if it's because we've got multiplied millions of people on the earth now that surely he has to use more to, you know, to accomplish something that he wants to do. Except that that kind of flies in the face of what we read in the scripture and what evokes faith in mankind. How many here live in Yakima? Okay. How many here don't live in Yakima? Oh, where do you live, Martin? Sela. I live in Sela too, part of the time. What if we are the only two voices in this city that God has ordained to communicate the gospel and the application of the gospel? You know the gospel is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, right? The application of the gospel is what we call the reference Acts 2.38, repentance, water baptism, and filling with the Holy Ghost. What if we are the two? How are we doing? <laughs> uh, Brother Flowers, you live in Sunnyside. You moved to Sunnyside because you felt compelled to move there with all the surrounding reasons at the time. What about the idea that there's a possibility that you and Lorraine and your children, 
You're the only voices that God has sent there for a specific task. Do we wait upon that task? Do we wait upon the Lord to know the task? Lewis, you got a specific place there. Right off of Fruitvale, right on that side of town. It's all yours. The Lord has placed you there. And from what I hear, you're communicating to a lot of people from that point. Would that be true? Guilty as charged. <clears throat> I guess I'm just wondering, do we ask ourselves the question, why do I work where I work? We know we've been given the plan, right? It came through a mouthpiece. Somebody came and shared some point in our life how that we could be, our sins could be washed away. The blood of Jesus could be applied to our life and that how we could experience the new birth, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, begin to walk in the spirit as we would pray and commune with God. And now... Do we wait on God for the task? Why is it that you have me where you have me? And why don't you have me somewhere else? We are the called. We are his chosen. We responded to the call. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm asking questions. Do we ask ourselves, <clears throat> I was working today with a couple of guys <clears throat> that when we parted, I was asking myself the question, don't you think you've waited long enough to seriously take some time and talk to them about the gospel? Oh, we've talked about church. He's aware. And, you know, they, they, they asked me about it, things like that. But haven't I waited long enough to get serious about communicating to the gospel or communicating the gospel to them? Because it is their response to the gospel that will determine their future. Are there any faces that come to your mind that are either on your job, in your neighborhood, or somewhere in your path You know, when we first came over to Sela, my wife and I, there was a neighbor. I hadn't seen the neighbor for 40 years. Last time he saw me, I was 17 years old. Now I was 57. And I kept saying, I need to go over and see that guy. He was never outside. And, but they said he was still alive. And I'd say, I need to go over and see that guy. And I wouldn't do it. 
I get busy with other stuff, just busy with life. There were so many tasks to handle. But every once in a while, I'd say to my wife, I need to go over and see that guy. And I'll never forget the day when I said to my wife, I'm going to get on a gator right now, and I'm going over there to see him. And I went over there and knocked on the door. He let me inside with all his cats. He and his wife and I sat down in the only spots available in the kitchen. And in 15 minutes, listen to me, in 15 minutes, I was standing there with my hand on his head, praying and speaking in tongues. The conversation went that far, that fast. And then I realized why there was such a compelling. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. But seemingly there was things that were just, it wasn't convenient. There were things resisting me. I don't know. But when I got there and saw the acceleration of how fast, I mean, you know, I haven't talked to the guy in 40 years. What am I going to say? How am I going to bring God into the conversation? Am I going to bring God into the conversation? Are we going to talk about apple trees? Are we going to talk about mountain climbing? He was a mountain climber. I couldn't believe it if I didn't experience it for myself. And then I begin to wonder, I wonder, I've got to be more sensitive because there may be others just like him. They're already prepared. They're ready. They're wanting to hear. He was sick and it wasn't long. He was in a nursing home and then passed away. Also, when we first got here, there was a family across the street that my sister had gone to school with their daughter. And I wasn't close to them. I was aware of them and, you know, talked, waved from time to time. But again, all those years had passed by, and I don't know why, but I went over, it seemed like the first night I went over to their house, and we sat down, and I testified for an hour and a half. I felt like I just had to tell them the whole story. Here's what happened when I left here. I got involved with alcohol and, you know, down that road. But then my life took a turn and came around and everything's changed. Now, they were, they're of a faith and they were excited for what they were hearing. But there's a certain amount of feel that, you know, I just knew I had to tell them. The rest is all up to God. But. As we begin to connect with neighbor after neighbor after neighbor after in the same neighborhood. I lived in a neighborhood for 15 years in Puyallup. Hardly ever spoke to anybody that lived in a cul-de-sac. You know, it rains all the time. You pull in and you go in the house. But it, it, it just seemed like it became apparent to me that at least for a season of time, we were right where we needed to be. And God had sent us as a voice to communicate. And so we did our best, have tried to do our best to communicate. But there's still some people I feel like I got to talk to. And I worked with a couple of them today. 
Let's pray again. Could we do this? You change neighborhoods. You change jobs. You have these significant changes in your life. And when you're praying and beseeching the Lord, you're, you're asking him, please order my steps, Lord. Lead me. Lead me and guide me. Put me in the right location for the right individuals because I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Come on, your voice, it's you. You are the messenger. Hallelujah, you're the messenger. You're the messenger. Come on, he sent you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, yet tonight I pray, Father. Let there be the preparation of hearts and minds for this holiday season. We're going to sit together. Jesus visiting, talking with individuals. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Brother Flowers. Can we just continue to talk to the Lord for a moment? Jesus in your name. Jesus in your name. In the name of Jesus, God, I want to be your mouthpiece. God, I want to share the things that you've shown to me. I want to share the things that you've taught to me. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Nobody knows you better than you know yourself. And it's a trick of the enemy to have your the highlight reel of your flesh continually, continuously played in your own mind. The enemy doesn't even know all these things. about us that we, if we're not careful, will continue to rehearse in our mind. That's, that's, that's flesh. That's not evil spirit coming over you and, 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 and trying to replay it. We picture the devil walking around with this old-timey... We talked about these old overhead projectors a little bit at practice Sunday. But we, we picture the devil walking around with this projector under his arm and a white screen up here and, oh, you're, you're getting ready to be used by God. Hang on, I got something I want to show you. And it's this reminder and that reminder and... 
I'm telling you right now, that's not the work of the enemy to that degree. He doesn't have that capability. When you, when you re- repent of your sins and you have that sin washed away, that's remitted is what we call it. The sin is remitted. What that means is that it's paid off. It's not still owing on your account. Okay, it's not a current charge. It's not a current transaction. If you really believe in the work of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life, and I think we do. I, be, I know that we believe what, what the Bible says is true. And when we were baptized, our sins were remitted. And I'll just say this. I was baptized at the age of six years old. And I, my, all my sins didn't stop then. Okay? There's been times between the age of six and 33 that there were other sins committed. I just have to tell you that in case. I'm sorry if that offends you. But that's the case. And I don't have to go back and get into the tank every time. You know, we don't pass through. Welcome to church. Why don't you uh, take a dive and come back out righteous again and go find your seat and we'll get on with service. Okay? That's silly if you think of that. But. What we do is we reapply the blood to cover our sins when we repent. The Bible says, if you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And at that moment, when he has remitted that sin, it's gone. You don't hear this taught a lot. You don't hear this preached a lot because this requires an, a new element of faith. Not in yourself, but in God and in the work of God. I like the way that Bishop puts this whenever he talks about justification. He says, it's just as if I've never done it. That's what it means to be justified. Okay? From your sin. So when you have that work done in your life... And then you, 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 you feel this creeping up of the enemy and history and all these things trying to replay in your mind. Here's, here's what's wrong with you. Here's why that person won't listen to what you feel like you have to say. Here's why it's not going to go the way you wish it would go. All of that is a lie. All of it is a lie. But that lie would prevent us from having the faith to say, yes, this is the weight that my voice can carry. If you're like me, the sound of your own voice is kind of the worst, irritating, you know, hear it on a message, hear it on a video or whatever. Oh, it just sounds awful. I wonder how many of us have that same spiritual view of ourselves and our voice. Because I see the, I see the stuff that it has to go through to get out to that person. If I feel like I have a word for Brother Rosario, 
that I feel like I know is a word from God for him. But as I'm saying it in my spirit, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing, oh, it's got to get through all the, the Caleb flesh to get to him. He's not, he's not hearing that. That's, that's not his perception of it. That's my perception of it. It's, it's the same when we talk about witnessing, when we talk about sharing our testimony or the gospel or whatever it is. That's your, that's your voice. The voice that God has given us. I was, uh, I was writing this kind of blog, blog paper thing. And part of it had to do with um, a study that had been done on the effects of the human voice. And what you hear, the, kind of the science behind the way a voice is processed in the human mind. And um, without going into all this great detail of the research, basically the findings were there are certain voices that when you hear them, they, they cause, it was all about how the, the hearing of the voice is connected to emotions, relayed in emotions, and either positive or negative. And you hear that, it doesn't matter what they're saying, you hear this voice and you're going to have this type of an emotional reaction. If you think about it, you kind of use your own life and yourself as an example of this. There are certain people... When you hear their voice, it's, if it's a family member and they call you on the phone, as soon as you hear the voice, whatever, whatever emotion you have attached to that person is going to come through into your mind when you hear their voice. If you listen to the radio a lot, you'll hear advertisements and Especially, it seems to be in Yakima, the same few radio stations that they have, they play the same commercials or, or advertisements on repeat, it almost feels like. I remember, I remember probably almost uh, eight, nine years ago, I, I would get in the car and hear all these things, and then we would all get in the car, and I would, I would recite the advertisement along with it, while Loren was sitting there, he's about to say this, 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 listen. And I would say it as he said it. Oh, man, I just had it memorized in my head because I knew this is what he's talking about. And, and you hear those things and you hear those voices and you have the feeling or the emotion associated with it. You have, you, I'm sure you've heard the phrase. You've probably even said the phrase to somebody. Right now, I just need to hear the sound of your voice. That's what we're talking about. It doesn't matter what you say to me. I just need to hear it. That's, that there's science to back that up because of the reaction that that voice has in us. Don't discount your voice in this hour, in your, in your setting don't don't discount your voice 
another another fallacy is I don't know what to say. And therefore I'm not going to speak or I can't speak because I don't I don't know what I should say to this person in this situation. All I can say to that is if you never try you're not going to they won't ever hear. If you could see in the spirit the posture of their spirit What is it you're going to say? What is it that you have to say to me? And here we are tied up. No, I can't. There's nothing. I don't I I don't have a voice. I can't say it. I don't have the words to say to that. Jesus told his apostles, don't worry about what you're supposed to say. The Holy Ghost will reveal to you what you're supposed to say, when you're supposed to say it. I dare say that if you already know, if you know what you're going to say before you even find yourself in that situation, did you really hear from God or did you write a script? Oh, I've got my my axe and my 238s, as they say. And I know that this is what I'm going to say wherever I'm at. And whoever it is, I'm just going to start preaching this to them. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, God, I feel your spirit here. You're wanting to accomplish great things in us tonight. You're wanting to accomplish great things through us. In the name of Jesus, God, in your name, God, we, we commit ourselves to you right now, God, to speak. Jesus, as you would have us, God, to say what it is you want us to say. I'm going to read just one passage. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. First Peter chapter four, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Do you know you could be a steward of the grace of God? If you, you receive the gift, you receive it to give it. That's, that's what this scripture says. As you have received this gift, so minister this gift. Let it become operative through you.
Verse 11 says, if any man speak. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability, as of the ability which God giveth. What this says is, see, we don't know, we don't think of this all the, all the time in these terms of, I signed up for something. No, I thought, I just, I came here to get my problems fixed. I came here to get my issues dealt with. I came here because I was in a bad shape, and so-and-so that witnessed to me or shared the gospel with me, I, I recognized something in them that I didn't have, and I needed to fill that with what I could receive. And you don't realize at the time what you're receiving is a gift that you're supposed to give. That's what it means to be a steward of the grace of God. It's... I've heard this taught my whole life. Grace is there for you, for you to spend. And then where we talk about the scripture, it says, don't frustrate the grace of God, okay? Spend it wisely. Don't, and I hear that in my head, and I think, okay, I better make sure I haven't made God too mad today. Because if so, I've, me, I've used up too much of his grace, and therefore I'm not being a good steward of it. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying, it's just like the man with the talent that God gives the talent to, and he says, I took it and I buried it. Because I knew you would expect to receive something from what you gave to me. That's, that was his accurate view of, of, the, of the master. You reap where you don't sow. Verse 11, it ends by saying that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praised and dominion, to be praised and dominion forever. When you, when you know that you're working for the glory of God, all of this makes sense. When you, when you don't realize why you're working, it's miserable sometimes. It's, it's, it's a task. It's a chore. A lot of times. Whenever we give our, our children something to do at the house, rarely are they in such a good mood that they're thankful that you gave them something to do. It happens, but not often. Usually it's, why? Just pick up this toy and put it in that basket. Why? Why didn't you ask him to do it? Why didn't you ask her to do it? All I'm saying is pick up that one thing and move it five feet this way. (sighs) Why? 
I'm going to sit down and pout first. Man, you could have cleaned up this whole area by this, by this time. <laughs> but when, when God asks us, why don't you ask that person right there if they could use prayer? Why? Why don't you see if, they feel, if, if there's a need over here that you could minister to? Why, why didn't you ask him to do it? Just ask her to do it. She's closer. They know them better than I do. And it's the same mindset because we see it as a chore. We see it as a, as a duty. And not a, a, not a gift that we get to give. And bestow on somebody else. Now I guarantee usually when we do that. It's because our reasoning is. This is not to the glory of God. Something about this situation doesn't sit just right. Just perfect with me to the point where. Okay I'll do that because I know that when I do it. You're going to reward this way. Or you're going to answer this way. Or it's going to be done. And what I'm doing is I am trying to explain or trying to fit in my glory, my opinion into this situation. Infuse them together to say, okay, God, me and you can get some great stuff done because here's what I'm going to do and here's what you're going to do. There, that's not, as this says, to glorify the Father, to, to bring glory to Him. And I like how the Scripture, almost every time it talks about giving glory to God, it says, through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was the example. He knew everything that I do is for my Father. Everything. So therefore, He, the Father, got glory through the Son, no matter what the Son was doing. So if I do this, and I'm doing it to give glory, if I am speaking as the oracles, or if I'm ministering with the grace and the gift that God gave me, I need to be doing it the exact same way that Jesus Christ did it. That's the proper way, that's the proper method, so that it brings God glory. This was said at the pause meeting several times. The motive in which the motive through which we do something is checked just as much as what it is we're doing. Now, a lot of us hear that and we know we go, okay, I'm gonna be honest with myself, my motive's not good, so I'm not gonna do anything. That's no excuse. The Lord is reaching for people tonight. And not people that are in this room. He's reaching for people waiting to be impacted by those of us in this room. The things that he would do in the life of somebody else. 
He already knows those things. He knows, the, he knows the individuals that are sitting wherever they're sitting, going through whatever they're going through, waiting for someone like us to bring the word of God to them. Brother Ethan, I, I witnessed it on you in our trip. You have the ability to talk to people. A lot, of, a lot of us don't have that. You have the ability to break somebody's barriers down just, just by standing next to them. And you can't take that lightly. That's, he's not the only one in the room, but I'm using him as an example. For me, personally, I make somebody uncomfortable just by standing next to him. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. But I can sense it. I got to let the Lord work on that. He's got to use it somehow. But I can see just, I mean, you, you, see, you sit in an airport for a few hours and you're going to see a few hundred people. And you're going to get to see how does so-and-so respond to so-and-so. And it's, what it is, it's a gift, okay? It's a gift from God. Just like any other gift. And what we're saying tonight is we have to be stewards of it. We have to let God use it to minister. Let's stand together. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, you're reaching tonight. Lord, you're reaching tonight. We avail ourselves to you right now, God. We avail ourselves to you right now, Lord Jesus. Jesus, in your name, reach through my life, God. Work through my life, Lord Jesus. God, I put myself on the altar tonight. Jesus, that you could accomplish through me what you want to accomplish. God, that you could reach through me the way that you want to reach. God, I put my faith in you. God, I believe and trust that you'll give me the words to say. That you'll give me the words, Lord, fitly spoken in due season. Jesus, that would reach into the heart of someone else. In the name of Jesus, God, we want you to be formed in us. We want you to be formed in us, God, to work through us, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Anything else? Amen. This is a charge from the Lord tonight. I hope we take it. Amen. Why don't you greet one another and you're dismissed. In Jesus' name.